And so the Holy Spirit is just as much part of the Godhead as God the Father and God the Son. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Who is the Spirit of God? In what way is the Spirit with us on earth? What is the leading of the Holy Spirit? This week on the Bible Truth Podcast, Bill Prost will examine the precious and important subject of the Spirit of God. If you have any questions on this topic or on what we have covered in the past, please contact us at info at bibletruthpodcast.com. Welcome back to the Bible Truth Podcast. Today we're taking up the subject of the Spirit of God. So, Brother Bill, whenever you're ready, we can go ahead and get started. Thank you very much, Josh. Yes, we want to speak a little today about the Spirit of God. It is a subject that is sometimes neglected among Christian circles today. And it is important to recognize that the Spirit of God is one of the three persons of the Godhead. God in Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is just as much part of the Godhead as God the Father and God the Son. It is very important to recognize this. The truth of the Trinity was not clearly revealed in the Old Testament, but it does say right in the first chapter of Genesis that before the world was put in the condition in which it was during the six days of creation, the Spirit of God hovered over those waters. And so in that sense, the Spirit of God is the power by which God's purposes and counsels are carried out. The Spirit of God was active in the Old Testament quite commonly. In fact, we read, for example, in the New Testament that the Word of God was written by inspiration because holy men of God were moved by the Spirit of God, which was there. And so the Spirit of God came upon individuals from time to time in the Old Testament, and that is recorded in various places where prophets and godly men stood up and revealed the mind of God by the power of the Spirit of God. However, you and I, in this day of God's grace, live in a very unique time in the world's history. I say that because the Spirit of God came down to earth on the day of Pentecost, and is resident here on earth, staying here on earth throughout the whole of this dispensation of God's grace. But when the Lord comes and calls every true believer home to be with himself, then the Spirit of God, in that sense, 
leaves with us. And so you and I live in a unique time when the Spirit of God is here on earth. And that was never true before, nor will it be true after the church is called home to be with the Lord. Will the Spirit of God continue to act during the tribulation period and during the millennium? Very definitely. But he will not indwell individuals on a continuous basis, nor will he dwell among people on earth in a collective way at that time. It is important to recognize this. The Spirit of God is often not given his rightful place here in this world, especially by believers, and yet he is here in a very real way. We want to look at a couple of those ways in which the Spirit of God is here. First of all, let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter 14. And here the Lord Jesus speaks about the Spirit of God and how he was going to come down at a future day, that is, on the day of Pentecost. John chapter 14 and verse 16. The Lord Jesus speaking, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. And notice this, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you, and notice this, and shall be in you. When an individual accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as his or her Savior, and is truly saved, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within that individual. What a precious truth that is, that you and I, as believers in this world, have the Spirit of God, a person of the Godhead, living within us. How wonderful that is. And yet, on the other hand, how solemn and how serious to think that wherever we go and whatever we do, the Spirit of God is with us. The Spirit of God, as we read in other scriptures, and we can turn over to John 16 for this. John 16 and verse 13. But we'll start maybe with verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Spirit of God thus is the interpreter of Scripture. He is the one who guides us into all truth. But more than this, he also guides and directs us in our lives. The Spirit of God is here. And when you and I look to the Lord for guidance and help in any particular situation, in our lives, the Spirit of God is here to show us which way to go. 
And so we find, for example, that the Spirit of God directed a man by the name of Philip in the New Testament, in the book of the Acts, to go out into the desert. And there he found a eunuch who was the treasurer of Queen Candace of Ethiopia. And here was a man who needed to hear the gospel and who was ready for it. What directed Philip to go there and do that? The Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God directs in your personal life and mine. If I am not sure which way to go or what to do, the Spirit of God can guide me if I am walking with the Lord. Of course, it is possible if we deliberately sin in our lives to grieve that Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit, instead of leading and guiding us, and occupying our hearts with Christ has to take up that question of our sin and to bring it before us in order that we might judge it and get right with the Lord. So there are many things the Spirit of God does for you and for me as individuals. Something that's a real help to me is to see when in John 14 and in John 16, those passages that you read, when the Lord Jesus speaks of the Spirit of God, he refers to the Spirit as another comforter. And he says another because he himself was their comforter. And that, in a certain sense, encapsulates all that you've said about leading and guiding. In what way would this, the Holy Spirit be the comforter for the disciples in the same way that the Lord Jesus was on earth. What question did they have that they could not ask him? What need did they have that they could not bring to him? And he would not mm -hmm. provide everything that was needed to the point where he would say in John chapter 16, it is expedient for me to go away. That is an incredible statement to think that the Lord would say that you are better off if I go back to my father, because I will send this one who will be with you and will be in you to lead you and guide you. Good. As we know, of course, the word comforter, we, we don't have a, a word in English that fully describes the Greek word, but it has the thought of someone that takes charge of and looks after us in every possible way. In the old Roman system, they would have a family attorney or lawyer, what was called a patron, that was sort of assigned to look over all of the matters that pertain to it. You need something done, you need counsel, you need guidance, you need money, you need a meeting to be arranged, business deal to be arranged, you go to that, what was called a patron. It mm. was a personal attorney that would look over all the matters associated with that person or that family. And that's who the Lord Jesus was for the disciples. And that is who the spirit of God is for us now that he has returned to the father. Amen. But then there is something else the spirit of God does in this world. And to see this turn to Ephesians chapter two, it says in verse, verse 20, and are built, that is you and me, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Now notice this, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. The Spirit of God also dwells among believers collectively as the house of God. And we don't have time this morning to go into all the aspects of what the house of God is. But here we find that God is building believers together as a spiritual house. And the spirit of God dwells among believers as the house of God. That has a very far reaching meaning for each one of us. Why? Because the spirit of God is in the house of God, once again, to lead and to guide collectively. And that is often neglected among believers today, and sadly so, because it is a real affront to the Spirit of God for men, and in our day, sometimes women too, to usurp the place that really belongs to the Spirit of God. Wherever Christians gather, the Spirit of God is there among them. He is there to lead and to guide, whether in worship or in ministry. The Spirit of God always glorifies Christ when we are together. He always leads and guides according to our spiritual state, of course, according to our understanding but when we come together, for example, to remember the Lord, the Spirit of God is there to lead and guide, whether for a brother to give out a hymn, whether to stand up and to offer thanksgiving, whether after the breaking of bread to offer a word of ministry, or to go to the table and give thanks for the emblems. We should be sensitive to his leading realizing that every thought that may come into my mind is not particularly the mind of the Spirit to be given out publicly, but the Spirit of God can show me what should be presented to the Lord on that particular occasion. Philippians 3, in verse 3, critical translations read, For we worship by the Spirit of God. And that brings out I think what you mentioned that not only in ministry, but also in worship, who is it that coordinates collectively when the saints are together? There's an overflow of adoration for the Father and the Son. Who is it? Well, it's that other person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God. Amen. Or if believers gather together, for example, for ministry, the Spirit of God is able to lead brothers out in ministry in that service for the church. And we get that in 1 Corinthians 14. We also get in 1 Corinthians 12 what the Spirit does collectively. We might turn to that just to read a verse. 1 Corinthians 12, it says in verse 4, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are difference, I'm sorry, diversities of operations, 
but it is the same God which worketh all in all. And then we find that the Spirit of God works there to coordinate the work of the Lord, to send one individual here, to send one there, to bring two or more together, to work together. We find that, of course, in the case of Paul and Barnabas, when they were in Antioch, the Spirit of God called them to work together and to go out in service for the Lord. So we find that the Spirit of God is here on earth to lead and guide in service. I don't want to offend anyone, but we never find in the New Testament such a thing as a missionary board. We never find in the New Testament an organization for evangelizing or doing various things in the assembly. Why not? Because Christ is the head of the assembly and the Spirit of God is there to lead and to guide in the house of God, in the work of the Lord, wherever it is to be done. I, I say it reverently, but I say it firmly. He is very, very capable of doing it and doing it properly. So let us remember that. The Spirit of God indwells individuals, and while he may use individuals collectively, in the New Testament, we find that the work of the Lord is always carried out by the energy of the Spirit of God in the individual, or sometimes individuals together. But we never find organizations in the New Testament. I once remember a dear brother saying, suppose we had a problem, and this is a problem in some communities, where individuals get drunk with alcohol and find themselves out in the street, perhaps fallen down in the street, dead drunk, as we might say. A brother said, if I saw a man like that, I would do my very best to help him. I would pull him up and be every help I could. But he said, if someone organized a group to pull drunks out of the ditch, I would not join it. That would be contrary to God's mind. That was a good way of putting it. And so we need to remember that the Spirit of God is capable of looking after his work. I was recently thinking a little bit about how at the very beginning when the Holy Spirit came down, how there was such unity that was displayed among the disciples of the Lord. And we find that in the beginning of Acts. And then there is a portion right near the beginning where sin came in that would spoil that. And we know that's the, the account of Ananias and, and Sapphira, the, mm. the couple that sold a piece of land and then brought a part of the money to lay it at the apostles' feet as if that was the full amount that they had sold the land for. And... The response to that was ultimately that Ananias and Sapphira both died. And it was a, a governmental judgment on them because of lying to the Holy Spirit. And mm. really, Ananias and Sapphira basically were ignoring the presence of the Holy Spirit on earth. They were acting mm. as if he wasn't really there. His presence was so obvious by what was happening. 
by the witnesses of the resurrection, the apostles and the healing that was happening and all of those signs that were done. And not only that, but the tremendous display of unity with them being all together of one accord, one mind. It was an outward display that the spirit of God had come down and was there on the earth. And he is not to be ignored. His presence <laughs> is not to be ignored. And by what they did, they were ignoring the reality of the presence of the spirit of God here on the earth. When we read that, it's it's solemn to think that they would have the audacity to do what they did. But then applying that to ourselves, the Holy Spirit is still here. He hasn't gone. And it's very important that in our individual lives and collectively in the assembly, that we do not ignore the presence of the Spirit of God and set about to do what is in our own minds and to coordinate things according to our own will rather than leaving the, the guidance and the direction and the coordination of ministry and worship to the Spirit of God. Amen. Yes, as I said earlier, it's a wonderful thing that the Spirit of God is here, but it is a very solemn thing as well. What do we need to help the Spirit of God along? Nothing. All we have to do, if I can say it bluntly, is to get out of his way and give him the liberty to act. He will act. We can prevent his acting. We can grieve the Spirit of God. We can quench the Spirit of God by refusing to act according to his leading. But he does not need you or I to, or you or me, to persuade him to act. He is there. He is ready to do it. And he is here in this world to lead and guide. So let us remember that. Let us be conscious of his presence here, both in us individually and among us collectively. And let us remember to honor him, to give him the place that is his in this world, and to allow him to fill our hearts with Christ, whether individually and collectively, and to lead and guide in every aspect of our lives, whether individually or collectively. You mentioned that the Spirit of God is still here, Josh, and that is a blessed thing. But again, a serious thing, because in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, we read that we are to use diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit in the uniting bond of peace. That's the Darby translation. And there is a unity of the Spirit into which the Spirit of God seeks to lead every believer according to the truth of God in his word. I remember once a young woman uh, was talking to me. She happened to be a patient of mine. And I spoke about what the word of God said on a particular subject. And her answer to me was, you mean your interpretation of the word of God? Uh-huh. Where do we go from there? Well, I pointed out to her, I said, who interprets the word of God, you or I or the spirit of God? And she admitted that it was the spirit of God and that the spirit of God would not lead to honest believers 
in opposite directions. Because the Spirit was the one that wrote the Word. Men who were inspired to write the Word wrote by the power of the Spirit of God. Is the Spirit not able to interpret his own Word? Is he going to lead two believers who are honestly seeking the mind of the Lord in opposite directions when they read the same Bible? It cannot be. And so she was finally forced to admit that if we did not see, as we say, eye to eye on Scripture, we were the problem. And we need to get on our knees and ask the Lord for help, don't we? That's so good. And when we find, too, in Scripture um, that the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Truth. So the Spirit is very closely connected with the Word of God. And this, as you said, Bill, the Spirit won't lead two believers to do opposite things. Likewise, the Spirit of God will not lead a believer to do something that's contrary to the Word of God. That's one of the great indications of Spirit-led ministry is that it's according to the Word of God. Another, another is, as you mentioned, Bill, that the Spirit glorifies Christ. We have in John 16, verse 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come. There's that thought I mentioned before, how it's according to the word of God. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, for he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. And so the Spirit of God always glorifies Christ. When you hear someone ministering, and they're, they're directing the thought and the admiration of the audience to themselves, it is not spirit-led ministry. It is self-glorifying ministry. The spirit will always glorify Christ, and that's another that's another mark of spirit-led ministry. Amen. Well, Bill, I would like to ask one final question. Is there ever a time while the church is on earth that the Lord's people can say, we don't have enough power? to do what God has asked us to do? No, I don't believe we can ever say that. Sometimes we want more outward demonstrations of power. But power, as you know and I know, is demonstrated in individuals in different ways, sometimes into all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness and things like that. But whatever the Lord may give us to do, by his spirit, he will always give the power to do it. Join us next time on the Bible Truth Podcast where we will take up the subject of justification. If you have any questions about the topic, please email us at info at